All right, Psalm 119, uh, this last section, it's, it's great. It's a great ending. And let me tell you one reason why. So when uh, Stacy and I were in college at Florida State, uh, I had a roommate. I had a lot of roommates, but one of my roommates was in Florida State's orchestra. Um, Florida State has a very good music program, just to put in a plug for the alma mater. And uh, this particular roommate was a really good musician. I forgot what... Um, instrument he played, but it doesn't matter so much. Uh, he gave Stacy and I two free tickets, front row, in the middle, to an opera that he was performing. It was Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. Now, I had, from a young age, enjoyed classical music. That's one of the many ways that I'm a nerd. Uh, and I, I did also have an aunt, my dad's sister, who worked in an orchestra, and also worked for an opera company for many years. So I had some familiarity with it. But this was the first time I'd ever actually been to an opera. And uh, I am much more familiar with the grand old Opry at this point <laughs> than with the opera. And I kind of thought what you might think. Um, this is going to be really dull, boring, uh, almost maybe torturous. And yet I walked out pleasantly surprised, and I think Stacy too. It was amazing. It was good, it was entertaining, it was funny, and I, I actually wrote a whole essay about it in one of my English classes, just how impressed I was with it, that, um, that it, it almost reflected something about life that almost everybody, whether you like opera or not, almost everybody recognizes, there are some things about life that are best expressed in song. And when you watch an opera or a musical, even if you hate them, you have to recognize, wow, isn't that cool? There are something that everybody has in their life that makes them want to sing. Right? Do you agree? Yes. I do. Well, isn't it interesting that it's not until the last letter of Psalm 119 that David brings up the subject of singing and praise music. Very interesting. The whole Psalm 119, there's not a, really a word about it, maybe with one little exception that I'll point out to you in a minute. But here in this section, look at it. He says, verse 171, I'm going to pour forth praise. And the word for praise there is actually the Hebrew title of the whole book of Psalms. It's the word for praise hymns or praise songs or psalms. That's the only time in Psalm 119 that he's used that word. And then he says in verse 172, my tongue will sing of your word. Again, this word's very common in the Bible and in the Psalms, but this is the only time in Psalm 119 that he talks about singing praise to God. There in verse 175, let my soul live and praise you. That's the only time in Psalm 119 that he uses that word except for the one place we saw last week. This is the one exception. If you'll look up there at verse um, 164, that's the same word as when he says, seven times a day, I praise you. Either way, it's not till the very end, the 21st and 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet that he gets around to talking about singing to the Lord. That's remarkable. Especially when you consider that the book of Psalms are literally a book of songs. 
unfortunately, in the Christian world of today, we've gotten kind of separated from that idea. But it is a very true and real idea that the Psalms are meant for singing. And for most of the history of God's people, Old Testament and New, and most of the history of the church, the Psalms of the Bible have been the backbone of what we sing in church and what we sing in our personal life to the Lord. In fact, it comes with a New Testament commandment. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in your hearts to God. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Three Greek words that are used to describe the various songs in the book of Psalms. Paul says, sing the book of Psalms. It's about singing praise to the Lord. And and David is going through over and over again 21 letters about how much he loves the Bible. And it's not to the end that he says, you know what what I'm also going to do? I'm going to sing now to God's praise because of what he's done through his word in my life. Now, why do we think that is? Well, I think it's because he's trying to show that praise is the ultimate way that we as people turn back to God those good things that he's given to us or that he's done in our lives. We might not think so, but I would say God thinks so. When the Bible says that we are to offer the fruit of our lips in praise to his name, it's talking about prayer, yes, but it's talking about song. Wow, so the fruit of our lips, the fruit of the work of God in our lives is that we would be a singing people. A singing people who praise God with song. It's the fruit. I think another reason why he waits to the very end is to show how not only is it the end, but that all the different ways that God has used his word in David's life are finally reaching their high point when he begins to sing in the overflow of his heart. Did you know that David was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel? Not only was he a king, but he was the king who gave God's people the hymn book from God. That's amazing. And so tonight I want to talk to you about that, about how God's word fuels praise and how we as God's people ought to be a singing and a praising people everywhere we go all the time. And if you look at your bulletin, I'll show you how and why and all the rest. Uh, Because this section really kind of divides into four sets of two verses. 69 and 70 go together, 71 and 72 go together, and so forth. And they answer these four questions. Where does our praise take place? How should we praise? Why should we praise? And finally, when should we praise? Y'all ready to talk about it? All right. Now, by the time we're done, I want y'all to be ready to sing, okay? Because we're going to sing a really good song after this. And and I want you to be ready. So first of all, where does our praise take place? This might seem like an odd question. Where should we sing to God? How would you answer that? Somebody says, in the heart. Somebody says, in church. Somebody says, in the shower where no one can hear me. Or whatever, wherever you might say. Well, notice what David says. This is very important, actually. It gets to the heart of so much of the Bible. He says, let my cry, by the way, the word cry there is shout of joy. Let my shout of joy, my praise, come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding. Verse 70, 
Let my plea come before you. Where should we praise God? Is the praise of God limited to a particular place? Uh, reading the Old Testament, someone might say, well, it was, in the, it was in the temple. In the Old Testament, they had to go to Jerusalem to the temple, right? Yes, but the temple in Jerusalem, you'll remember, was really just a symbol of some other place, some other realm, really. It was a symbol of heaven, the place where God sat on the cherubim, ruling and judging his people, hearing their prayers and praises, and working on their behalf. That was what the temple stood for, the person and work of Jesus Christ to get us to the heavenly throne room. That's why when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, and the Samaritan woman said, Jesus, who's right? Are you Jews right, or are we Samaritans right? We say that you should worship on this mountain that, they, that Jacob lived on, and you say that we should worship in Jerusalem at the temple that Solomon built. Who's right? Well, Jesus says, well, we're right, but a time is coming and is already here when the true worshipers won't worship either here nor there. But remember what it says? In spirit and in truth, the true worshipers will worship me. Jesus there was not teaching something new that had never been known in the Old Testament. He was just pulling back the layers to show you what the Old Testament temple stood for. And David shows us here in these two verses what it stood for. We must sing, and the songs that we sing are songs that we sing before the very face of God. You cannot worship in any other place than in His immediate, glorious, gracious presence. Now, what place on earth can you find that presence? Well, this is Jesus' point, right? There is no particular place on earth, that, an, an, an exclusive place where you find this presence. You can find it anywhere. But make no mistake about it, you must find it by singing with your spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and singing truthfully or sincerely. And the Bible says when we offer our prayers and our praises that way, we are transported, not physically but spiritually, right into the very throne of God, and God hears what we say, and he hears what we sing. Jesus Christ looks over our shoulders and sings the song with us, the book of Hebrews tells us. Because a true worshiper in spirit and in truth is the worshiper that the Father seeks and looks upon with grace and favor. In other words, we cannot turn praise into merely an external ritual, nor can we turn it into just a sensual feeling, right? The warm fuzzies that I get when a certain song is played, which we all know, doesn't music do that to you? I mean, anybody with the right chord progression can make you feel good. And with the right chord progression can make you feel terrible. It's part of our physiology. That's not what the Bible means. Uh, what the Bible means is this. Not just an external ritual, not just a sensual feeling, but the actual heart of the person speaking to God who is spirit. And it's there that we are transported into God's very presence. He hears our song, 
and he delights in it. Or as scripture says, God dwells on the praises of his people. Think about that picture. God dwells on or upon, like, like, as if our praises are the throne, and God sits on the top of that throne. Is that the way you think when you go to pray or you go to sing to the Lord or come to church? We're going to be lifted, y'all, in this moment up into the very presence of God. Even now we're being lifted and we're, we're sitting there before God's awesome throne. And yes, the earth is his footstool, but he is being revealed from on high at his footstool so that we can know him personally. Do you think that way? Or is it just, man, yeah, we're going to 505 Northeast 1st Avenue, Mulberry, you know, once again. In the room that's sometimes bitter cold, sometimes really hot. <laughs> One or the other. You ought to think more than that, because this is real. This is a spiritual reality. This is why preparing to sing and preparing your heart all week to sing together with God's people is a, is a real part, should be a part of your life. Sometimes when we were in school, the, I was never in chorus in school. I mean, you might, probably aren't surprised by that, but Stacy was. And I remember um, sometimes the chorus would go play at, uh, go sing and perform at different places. One place that they would go a lot was to Epcot during the Christmas, what they call it? candlelight have you ever been to that candlelight um, I remembered how much they would prepare for candlelight uh, why do you think they prepared more for candlelight than they did to perform for the other students at school Mickey, Mickey was there <laughs> yes Mickey and usually some other celebrity who was going to be reading the Christmas story or whatever. They were going to be in front of a celebrity. They were going to be in front of a paying audience. And no, they weren't there to see them, but they were there nonetheless having paid. And so they were going to do their best work. Well, if it's true that when we sing God's praises, we are before the audience of the king of the universe. Shouldn't we be working not just to get our voices right, but to get our hearts right? The tuning of the heart. And it takes a lot to tune the heart to be ready to sing God's praise. It takes a lot more, actually, than tuning the voice, which for some people is relatively easy, other people relatively hard, but it's hard for all of us to tune the heart. And yet, where does it take place? In the, in the presence of the most famous, important being that has ever been and will ever be. That should encourage us, I think, but it should also challenge us uh, to be ready. David saw God's presence as his real home. And so he's asking that when he cries and when he pleads before the Lord and when he sings his praises, that it would come before God. Now, he knows that God is everywhere. But what he's looking for is not just God's everywhere presence. He's looking for God's special presence with his people promised through the sacrifice offered. And that's what we also have as Christians. Not just God's presence, which is all around us, 
but the real special face-to-face presence of God that's given to us through Jesus Christ. When we sing, when we worship in spirit and in truth, we've got that. All right, let's look at the second thing. How are we to praise? Well, once you know where you're at and where you should be, we've got to think about how. If you look at verse um, 171 and 172, you'll see it. It's a pretty simple idea. He said, My lips will pour forth your praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. What do you see in those two verses about how we are to praise God? Do you see anything? Singing his command, yes, singing about his commandments, singing in response to his commandments. It's not just merely, wow, I feel so good. You know, it's, Lord, you are good. Lord, thank you. You have said this about yourself. You have shown me this. I'm singing about this back to you. It's, it's ordered by the word. Very important. What else do you see? Yes. Yeah, lips, tongue. Why do you think he does that? All of it, it, yeah. The whole thing. Uh, Lips, of course, and tongue both, standing for the language, standing for a person's ability to communicate. He says, take my whole ability to communicate, and I want to turn it towards your praise. That that, uh, phrase, pour forth is very picturesque to me, where, where the praises of God are just almost overflowing from his mouth because they're coming from his heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so David is recognizing there's an abundance in his heart that, is, that has to come out. Well, where did that abundance in his heart come from? God. And how did God bring it? As one writer says, the word of God is, in this case, the hand of God. That's what David is describing. My lips will pour forth your praise. Why? For you teach me your statutes. It's the unfolding of God's word that fills our heart with what we need to have it filled with so that we will pour forth what is fitting for the Lord in praise. So how should we praise God? We should praise Him as an overflow of our own delight and enjoyment in His revealed will, in the revelation of who He is. The the Word of God pouring in ought to pour out in our praise. Therefore, it is not just singing in, in the scriptural sense, is not just simply giving expression to yourself, self-expression, right? It's expression of what God has brought to you through and in yourself. So yeah, it does have a personal dimension to it. Plenty of psalms say, I will praise you, I love you. So it, doesn't ha- it has a personal, subjective angle. But what is coming through the person is what God has put in and what that person has learned to love. It's a little bit like, um, well, it's like your garden at home. Does anybody have a garden at home? Um, if you don't plant seed, what happens? 
weeds. Uh, will uh, corn grow if you don't plant seed? Will pumpkins grow if you don't plant s- pumpkin seeds? No. Without seed, that thing cannot come forth. Or it's like the rain gauge in your garden. When does the rain gauge overflow? This one's not a hard one. Yeah. When does the rain gauge overflow? When it's full. And how does it get full? Well, obviously, by the rain. Right? If it's not raining, the rain gauge doesn't have any risk of overflowing. But when it's raining and raining a lot, it will overflow. David is saying it's the word that is the seed. It's the word that is the rain. The more of it we take in, the more of it God teaches us spiritually in our hearts, the more we will be able to praise God rightly, the way he deserves to be praised. This is, again, why the Bible calls praise the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The picture there is the picture of the Old Testament sacrifices, the fruit of the lips. God gave animals to Israel to sacrifice for their sins. But then, after the animal sacrifices atoned for their sins, they were also to offer other sacrifices, which were sometimes of animals, but also of fruit and, and grain and wine and, all the, and oil and all those kinds of things. Those were thanksgiving offerings on the basis of the atoning offering. That's the fruit they were to offer in response to the atonement. And here what David is saying is the, the good news of God's atoning work The good news of God's law to show him the way that God wants him to live is overflowing almost like a spiritual thanksgiving offering. Instead of offering vegetables and uh, grain and olive oil only, he's offering his lips and his tongue singing God's word back to him. And God is pleased with it. Often in the Bible it says when God sees the sacrifices of his people, he smells a sweet smell and so when God hears the sound of his people's praise in song or in prayer he hears something sweet and that is whether or not it's in tune or whether or not it's the musical style that you happen to like or prefer I don't don't think God is so much concerned about those things that we're so concerned about God loves the true, fruitful expression of a heart that has received his grace. That's what David's talking about. You taught me, and because you taught me, my lips pour forth. Your commandments are right, they have come to me, and so I will sing of your word. That's how. You still with me? Now, why are we to praise? This is the next two verses, 173 and 174. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Wow. Let your hand be ready to help me. I long for your salvation. Why? Does David want to pour forth the praise of God? How would you answer that from those two verses? Hint, it has a lot to do with what we talked about this morning, if you can remember back that far. 
Why does David want to praise God? Okay, starts with an S, ends with an alvation. Yes, there you go. You see that? All right, y'all remember this morning, right? Salvation was God's greatest gift. God gave salvation to his people, though they did not deserve it. And David says here, I long for your salvation. The reason God's law had become David's delight is not because David was a legalist and thought he could keep God's law perfectly and earn God's favor. God's law was his delight because he longed for God's gracious salvation. And he believed he had experienced it. And so he longed for more of it. He wanted God's hand to always be there ready to help him. I mean, I love that picture in verse 173. I mean, we, of course, know that God is a spirit and doesn't actually have a hand. But what does it mean to say that God's hand is ready to help us? What picture comes in your mind when you think about a hand ready to help? Somebody needs help. And what about the person helping in relationship? They swoop in. That they're standing at a reasonable distance in order to tell when the help is needed. Their, their hands aren't so busy with other things that they can't stop and extend the helping hand. I mean, David is saying, God, I want, and he believes God is really like this. God, I want you to be so near to me and so willing to help me and so able to help me that in every situation that I find myself, there you are, ministering another aspect of your salvation to my life. There you are blessing me in a new way with the salvation that you so freely give. That's why David longed for it. To long for something is to pant for it. To break out in hives if you don't get it. Uh, It's what David says in Psalm 42, uh, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you. Have you ever seen an animal on a hot day panting for the water? It's impressive. Chest heaving. They're not like us where they hold their their wants and desires in. They just show them. And David says, I'm at that point. I I want God so much that I, I can't help but show it that I know that I need him and as soon as he sets forth his hand to give me those things from himself that I need that's as soon as I'm going to receive it with gladness and my heart is going to be satisfied just like a deer panting along the way until the deer suddenly finds that water brook and begins to dive its head down into the cold water and just lap it up that's David with the Lord David had such a relationship with God based on God's salvation that it had become a relationship of delightful dependence. He was dependent on God, but he wasn't sad that he was dependent. Well, this is interesting because the older we get as humans, the less we like to be dependent usually. You with me? The older we get, the less likely we want to be dependent on anyone. Why? Why do we have a hard time with dependence? Makes you look weak. What else? 
Give somebody else control. That's a big one, yeah. If I can do it myself, then I can control it. Yeah. Makes you feel guilty. I don't know, it does with me sometimes. Having somebody else put out on my account, I don't like that. I just want to kind of be able to deal with my own business. We get proud the older that we get. Well, it's, I'm not going to speak to whether you should feel that way with other people's help. I don't think you should with other people's help either, but you certainly should not feel that way about God's help. David knew that. His relationship with God's salvation was, was such, a, such a deep experience in his life that he would never be cured of his dependence. And the more dependent he got, the more willing and delighted he was in that relationship. Kind of like we said this morning, David learned that even his weaknesses, especially, maybe especially his weaknesses, were those places where God could show his strength. And so he wasn't put out by or um, completely turned off to weakness in his life. Instead, he sort of embraced the weakness so that in the weakness, God's strength could be more fully tasted by him and more fully displayed before others. And so what you get here is a man who wants to praise God, who wants to pray, not just simply because he has to, but because he wants to, but he also knows that he has to. This is, this is important too. Not only can delight go along with dependence, if we learn from God, but also duty can go along with delight, if we learn from God. This is another paradox to us. The older we get, the more we think commands always cramp the style. Commands always hinder. It's impossible to simply do your duty and also be having fun at the same time. But this challenges that. David knows he's supposed to praise God. He knows he's being called to do it. He's commanded to do it. And yet it's the thing he wants to do because he sees how ready the hand of God has been to help him. He sees how God has used his infinite power for his benefit. And so David doesn't want to hold back any of his own ability from God because God hasn't held back on him. Salvation has been his teacher. Grace has harmonized duty and delight. Grace has harmonized dependence and delight. Grace has transformed every way that he relates to God. Therefore, he sings. Therefore, he praises with his lips as often as he can. Remember last week we said seven times a day David praised the Lord. And, and that was not a rigid, he literally stopped seven times. Maybe his iPhone uh, alerted him each of the seven times that it was time to pray. It probably wasn't the case. But he's saying throughout the day, there's not a time where I feel like I'm off. I'm always thinking about how I can go to the Lord and how I can offer the fruit of my lips in praise. Why did he do that? Because he loved God. Because he knew that God stood ready to help him and that his salvation was his satisfaction. All right, that leads us to our last thing. When are we to praise God, when? Uh, last two verses, uh, 175, 176. Not only the last verses of this section, but the last verses of the whole psalm. You've made it. We've made it. 
The last two verses. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Now notice how he speaks about praise there in verse 175. When will he praise God? As long as he lives. Let my soul live and praise you. As long as I live, I will praise you. As long as you give me life, I will return back to you praise. Your blessings are poured on me undeserved, and my thanks and worship is returned to you fully deserved. Isn't that good? And then in 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Oh, I'm so thankful David ended here. After all these verses about David's love affair with the Bible, we may be tempted to think, man, I am so far away from David. I feel like a complete failure at the Christian life. So I love that David ends with a a little personal touch here, one that speaks to me greatly. David says, in all of this, don't take me as boasting. Don't think this whole time, all 22 letters of the alphabet, I've been telling you what I do perfectly. Because I've not been telling you that. What I've been telling you is what I ought to be doing. Here is what I actually do. I have gone astray. Like a lost sheep. Seek your servant God. Seek me. When are we to praise God? When we're with God, when he's giving us life, and also when we feel far away from God, and we need him to seek us. What does that include? Every moment. In other words, you're to praise God when it's going well, and you're to praise God when it's not going well. So when are you to praise God? All the time. Because although our position in relationship with God might seem to change on our perspective because we're either near Him or far from Him in our own spiritual experience, God never changes. God's position and His character never changes. And so He's always to be praised. And the more we praise Him from all these different places that we find ourselves in, the more God will use that to bring us back to where we're supposed to be. I love the fact that He says, I'm lost, not like... A dog, but like a sheep. When a dog runs away, there's always a chance that it'll run back. Especially when it gets hungry, thirsty. Have you ever seen Homeward Bound? Great movie from my childhood. They can find their way back home. Oh, how good it is. Makes a great story. You'll never see a movie about a lost sheep finding its way back home. Why? Dumb. Yes, that's right. Is that what you said, Annie? Yeah, that's right. They, they are significantly dumber than dogs. Uh, a lost sheep will never find its way back home. A lost sheep must be sought by the shepherd. That's why it's good for lost sheep like us 
to be ready to praise and call out to God whether or not we find ourselves found or lost. Because when we're found, God's giving us life and growing us and filling us to where we're overflowing. When we're lost, God's not far away. He's actually seeking us. Either way, it's God who deserves this right here. My voice, my lips, my tongue. Praise looks to God in trouble. Praise rejoices in God in deliverance from trouble. And praise delights in God's revealed will when we are in harmony with Him. Perfectly where He wants us to be. In every case and condition, there is a song of praise for you. This is, again, one of the reasons why the Psalms as a whole are so good. Um, can you think of a single situation or emotion that you can feel where there's not a psalm for it? I can't. Um, I love the, I've, I've used the Psalms a long time. Some of y'all have used them longer than I have. And I've never found a single situation in my life where there's not a psalm that perfectly helps me to bring back to God what I need to say and what I need to sing in His presence. Am I sad? Oh, are there psalms. In fact, it's famous, there are more psalms of lament than almost any other kind of psalm in the whole Psalter. That should tell you something, by the way. Are you happy? Oh, there are songs of praise. I mean, some really high praise and thanksgiving that it gives on harps and cymbals and lyres and angels are praising and trees are clapping their hands and there's some great stuff in there. Wow. Do you feel dry and dead and distant? Oh, there are some deers panting for waters in there in many different psalms, not just in 42, but many. Do you need to encourage yourself because you're discouraged? Oh, there is a lot of, oh, soul, why are you downcast in there? Hope in God, right? Are you angry? There's actually psalms for that. Do you hate evil with all your might and want to curse it? There are some cursing psalms as well. And, and by the way, I believe you ought to use those too. There's nothing in the human heart that the Lord has not foreseen and, and, and given to you a form of praise for you to use and to springboard off of in order to praise Him in that condition and in that case. Where are we to praise? Right, the only place that it's possible to praise, before the very face of God. How are we to praise? The only way it's possible to praise Him rightly, by His Word being poured out into your heart so much that it just flows out of you. Why are we to praise? Because He saved us and made our relationship with Him an absolute delight. And when are we to praise? When we're near and when we're far, when we're sad and when we're glad, when we're angry and when we're content, when we feel dumb and when we 
feel like we've just seen the heavens opened and God has shown us the deep things and the deep mysteries of his character and work. No matter where we find ourselves, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God. I think that's why David ends this psalm there. Because in his relationship with God, his, uh, the word of God has come to dwell so much into David's heart that he realizes the appropriate pl- place of praise in his life. That it's the, the chief end. It's the whole reason why he's on this planet. And it's the whole reason why he is going to be given eternal life forever in heaven. is to give God the due praise that he deserves. If you look with me, I'm going I'm to take you to another verse to close us out here. This is outside of Psalm 119. It's actually in the New Testament. Go with me to Ephesians. Chapter 5. Verse 18. And this is kind of a summary of Psalm 119, the letter tall. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wow. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. Amen.